David, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm chapter 141. We're, we're closing in here, and um, I'd like to, you guys can all see the graphic there on the screen, and I'd like to just leave that up for a moment, um, because as this graphic has served us for four years now, um, it's the, the title of the sermon series in the Psalms has been Psalms, Prayers for Life. And so it's uh, each one of these prayers is used in our life, prayed into our lives by Scripture, and it's a way of teaching us how to become people who pray. And so as, as one of the hopes that we have at Grace and Mercy Church is that we become a people who pray. And, and so in that, we are learning this. And um, this graphic is, you know, 1 through 150, because of course there are 150 Psalms. And while I was collecting these photos, um, I was, God was teaching me about His grace, teaching me to look for it, to seek it out. Like some of these pictures that were taken were taken in different spots. Some were shady spots. Some I had to ask permission to go into there to just say, hey, can I take a picture of such and such number? And so as I was reminded, um, particularly today, because of the picture that is up uh, that is up here today, but it's like here in 2020, uh, we need to look for grace. Sometimes it's not that easy to find. Sometimes it's, it's been difficult in certain weeks, like maybe even like this week, it's just been hard to see that God is like super active in this world and that he's doing all these great things and that, uh, but yet he is, and we get attempt to attempt to look for grace in this broken world. Um, I mean, in, in the last few months of 2020, it just seems like one hit after another after another. And then when you feel like the sun's coming out, then all of a sudden something else happens and you're just like, what is going on? But this picture is what led me to think about this this week. This is number 141 uh, and it's Luke's number. He took the picture. Uh, for a race that he ran in, and it was a Everett half marathon, and uh, it made me think because uh, when he sent it to me, I knew that we wouldn't see it for a long time. I was like 141. Well, that'll be in maybe I don't know, 2019, 2020. I I kind of had a good idea that it would be here, but this picture today it just reminds me that here we are four years la later, and Luke's friendship has been constant through that whole way through. His friendship has been a grace to me. It's one of those things where I am, su there you go, Luke, there you go. This is, do you see the picture, buddy? Do you remember that day? Yeah, I was on the toilet, but I was hearing the whole thing. There you go. So yeah, you you knew what picture it was, right? So, but Luke's friendship has been, a, yeah, absolutely. It's been a grace to me. And I, I think through, um, I was thinking through with Luke in particular, but like, how many times that there have been over the years where we've just sat and we've talked and God's grace has just, um, God's grace has just come and shown itself to me in conversations. I've learned a lot from the conversations. I've, I've grown a lot. I, in fact, I like to think of it is that I'm a better person because Luke's in my life. I'm a better follower of Jesus because of the God, the grace that God has given me, uh, through him. And, um, there have been, you know, significant moments in my life that have involved Luke, that God's used him to expand 
who I am in Christ. And all of these images that we took that I that were taken pictures of are intended to remind us of grace, as this one does. But not only this this picture reminds me of grace through Luke's friendship in particular, but community in general. Well, and Luke, as well as the rest of the community of God that God's given us, are grace to me. And today we're going to be talking about temptations, and and, and um, here in Psalm one forty one. And we all need good friends to help us avoid pitfalls, pitfalls that and, and temptations that we might be more tempted to fall into or that we might like temptations to ignore our blind spots. And we need each other speaking into our lives. And we need friends to help steer us, guide us, lead us, shape us. Friends that are attentive to what Christ is doing in their own life, what Christ is doing in our life. And then we can just work that into uh, uh, conversations. And I think of Luke because in a lot of ways, Luke and I are very different people. The way that we think is different and, and the way that we um, part do just do life is a little bit different. And yet at the same time, like we both have this deep desire to follow Jesus with all that we are. And we, we want to do that and keep, we want to keep encouraging one another and keep plugging away in this resurrection life that we get to live. And I am, um, this, this uh, picture reminds me that community is key, that we need each other. We, we do. And I know uh, for a fact that as a way of just honoring the Holy Spirit's work in Luke's life, I wouldn't be who I am without Luke. And I am grateful for that. And so with that, let me pray. Psalm 141 into our lives, and then we'll and then we'll take a peek at it, and at a little bit deeper level. Oh Lord, this is a, a psalm. Psalm 141, a psalm of David. Oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds, in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. When their judges are thrown over the cliff, then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are towards you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me, and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. In Jesus' name, amen. Whoops. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the screen off here. Sorry. Um this prayer starts as many, many of the Psalms start. It's asking God to hear our prayers, for him to hear us in the midst of wherever we may be. And asking God, in asking God to hear them, we're not just saying, Lord, will you just listen to them, but will you answer them as well? God, it's like 
We're saying, God, I know you can hear me, so please hear and don't be silent, but act on what I'm asking. Not only in this, but in verse 2, David is offering up this prayer as incense, right? As something that goes up to God, that is lifted before God. And he's lifting his hands as a sacrifice. And David is coming with these gifts before the Lord. He's asking God to hear him, but he's also letting God know that, hey, God, this is costing me something. This incense, this is coming up before you, this is costing, in this case, it's costing his time, his actions, maybe his resources and lighting the incense and the use of his, his uh, what he considers maybe his things for the service of God. And he is doing these things so that his prayer might be acceptable. The lifting up of hands, as we know, like is a sign of surrender to God. But there is nothing, it's like we're saying, there's nothing more that I can do, God. So I give up my feeble attempts and ask that God, you work in this situation and that you work in my life. And I think that this is important and significant to prayer. David's actions here are matching his words. He's saying, God, I'm asking you for these things, but I'm also just giving it all to you. I'm giving all that I have to you. And he wants God, and in a way, he is showing God through these sacrifices that he's willing to give up his own ways and follow Jesus in his direction and follow God in his direction rather than what David has for his own life. And this submission in prayer is so important. Submission in prayer is immensely important. We get to lift up our hands and surrender our lives and our wills to Jesus. We don't know our way is what we're saying. God, I don't know my way. So we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, we trust in your way and we submit ourselves to you. We're putting our lives in your hands to do as you please with us. In another way, we can say we want to be shaped by Jesus and our actions get to match our prayers. We get to, sometimes um, we pray and we're just like, God, will you do it? But we, we get to be an active part of this as well. And we don't need to pay God anything for prayer to him. That's not what David is suggesting here. He's not saying like these prayers are somehow better because David is offering incense and offering up holy hands. But we get to do it and pay, uh, uh, pay attention and heed what God is saying. To do what Jesus wants us to do. But this prayer quickly moves from that to set a guard, to keep a watch, to not let our hearts be inclined to any sort of evil or to busy ourselves with wicked deeds. <clears throat> and these lines remind me of the Lord's Prayer, which we've already prayed this morning. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Both the evils that we see and the evils that we don't see. Both the, the sin of, of injustice in this world that is systemic and the injustice that is in our own hearts. And I, I firmly believe this. We're all capable of evil. We all can be tempted to do or say things that just aren't right. Or maybe it's our motives aren't right. Even in the doing, maybe the action is right, but our motives are self-serving rather than Jesus serving. And we just take all the glory for ourselves and thus make much of ourselves rather than make much of our, uh, of our Savior, Jesus. And we are all capable of evil. 
We're all tempted by it. We are all prone to wander from Jesus and to fall into many types of evil. And this prayer, this keep guard, keep watch, is a plea for us to stay away from these things, that we may be attentive to the fact that these evils lurk. And I'd like to just kind of frame this in the framework of inequality as one sin. You can do this with just about any sin that you may be um, partial to, but inequality towards any human being in any way, shape, or form, in my mind, and I believe in the view of Scripture as well, is evil. Where we treat somebody as less than an image bearer of God based on their skin color, based on their socioeconomic status, based on where they are right now. If we make them less than ourselves, then we are treating them in an evil way. And as for us as Christians, we love God so much, in large part because he's given us dignity and worth. He's allowed us to... To, to be these people that, that he says, I love you and we accept that love. But then when we don't turn around and give away that love, it's an evil. It's evil. In fact, grace is freely given, undeserved favor from God. And we don't deserve grace because of our actions. That's not why we do things. In fact, that's when, when, um, if it's a reap and sow, that's karma. That is not grace. And as Christians, that's not what we believe. We believe all of it is free, unmerited favor from God. And so we get to treat people with the same sort of grace and dignity that we want for ourselves because that's what Jesus gave us. And when I speak of equality, I'm speaking of things like racism, which we've, which we clearly have seen this week if you've watched any sort of news or read anything. I'm talking about sexism. I'm talking about classism where one class is better than the other. Or I'm talking about ageism. And when I say ageism, I'm speaking about like we get to care for the old and the young. Or when we say things like, um, oh, well, they're just a kid. They don't know. There, there's some element of truth in that, but there's also a spot where we could be demeaning children instead of lifting them up and teaching them that they are image bearers of God. I'm also speaking of inequality when I speak of levels of uh, education. If someone's not educated as we are that, and we hold that against them, or levels of opportunity, or levels of treatment for any other person, and, and I, I'll, I'll speak about it in terms of race, in part because I, I love race, talking about race, and I love, um, uh, I love just the complexities that come with it. And we live in this world that is crazy racist. It's not only here in the United States, it's throughout the world and um, where uh, this is not just personal racism, where one person is racist against another, there are sy systems in place in this world that treat people based on their skin color alone with inequality. This is a sin. This is an evil that is in this world. And I think that we can all agree that racism isn't right. That racism isn't right. That God didn't make one race over against another race and favor them. In fact, Jesus came to die for the sins of the entire world, not simply the sin of one nation. 
Jesus came to truly equalize all humanity at the foot of the cross. And there is one perfect, and that is Jesus. And then there's the rest of us. No one person or no one race being better than the other. And when we treat people as less than us, as less than ourselves, um, for, for any reason, we are giving in to the sin of inequality. And for this, we need grace. We need God's grace in the world. And if we give in to and accept the systems and permit systems to, to continue and to perpetuate inequality, then in our silence and acceptance, we are in sin. Maybe not explicitly, but implicitly, we are in sin. To not treat someone well based on their color or their gender or their age or anything is to strip that person of dignity and worth that God so desperately wants to give to everybody. And not only that, us as Christians, our job is reconciliation in this world and we get to show this grace to others. And so we pray this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or here in this psalm, we pray it like this. Set a guard. Keep watch. Do not let my heart be inclined to evil. To not fall, we do this to not fall into inequality. Um, we need to be aware that it exists. We need to be aware that it exists. And when we are aware of it, we're, we're less inclined to just give into it willingly. To not go in those directions. In fact, Paying attention to Jesus and our own lives is difficult, but it is necessary, absolutely necessary. We don't want to walk all over the grace. Even if it's unintentional, we don't want to walk all over the grace that Jesus provided to us. We want to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received to turn to him and away from all sin and evil that is so tempting to cling to. And I think that one thing that this psalm and this prayer shows in particular is that sin is a serious thing. Evil is serious. And our temptations to give in to sin and evil are real. It's not a joke. It's not something that we just give our lives to Jesus and then we're never tempted again. And sin is there to tempt us to walk away from Jesus. And it doesn't matter how long we've been walking with him. We all have these temptations because sin wants to steal and kill, kill and destroy our relationship with Jesus for us to walk away from him forever. And even in verse 4 it says, Let me not eat of their delicacies. And there is seemingly this idea that sin is sweet and luring. That there's something delicious about fulfilling our sinful appetites. However, this sin, when we fulfill these appetites, it comes with a nasty af aftertaste. And there is a lack of personal nutrition that comes to us. Instead of helping us, it leaves us wanting more. It leaves us craving. And we get to resist this. We get to bring health, spiritual health into our lives and we want to stay away from things that give us unhealth in life. And I'd argue this, um, and, 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 I, and I'm sincere, you can talk to me about it afterwards, I don't mind having conversations about this, but I'd argue that we all have inequalities that are ingrained in us. Maybe that's personal personally ingrained to us or society has ingrained it into us. And I'd also argue that Many of us are blind to our own inequality. 
So you know what we get to do? We get to pray that God will keep us away from these. We get to strive to open our eyes and work out a way to walk away and resist the temptations that come to live in equality. We need humility in life, period. All of this Christian life that we walk is one of repentance because we recognize that we don't know, that we don't understand, that God does, and we get to be humble and walk this out. And we get to know that we just don't know. I I, I said to somebody this week that... Um, I'll know a person is smart when they recognize that there's just so much that they don't know. If a person knows everything, then that's not humility. And we get to walk with the type of humility that, yes, we know Jesus, but we don't know everything. We don't know how he's going to act at every time, in every moment and in every situation. We don't know what he's going to do tomorrow. And we get to walk step by step with him and we get to treat others as better than we treat ourselves because that's what Jesus did for us. And heaven knows that we strive for this, but we don't all do it well. And I'll use myself as an example here because one of the great regrets that I have in life is exactly this. For two years, I went to an all all black church in Southern California. It wasn't all black because I was there and there was and. There wasn't another white person. I was the only white person in the church. And if someone at that time would have accused me of being racist, I would have pointed to my church and said, look, look at my church. How can I be racist? Like, look at all my friends. All my friends at that time were of not my same color. Like they were all black guys and girls that went to this church. And it wasn't until my later years that I learned that there is a huge difference between explicit racism and implicit racism. Explicit racism is someone who is just openly racist. They're like, I don't like that person based on their color. And this is someone who knows that they don't like that person from another race. And and maybe they're not open with it, you know, but in closed circles, people know that they're racist and they know that, hey, I don't like this person because they're white, black, Mexican, Asian, whatever it may be. They, They just don't like them. And so, and I was not that type of racist. I was absolutely not that type of racist. However, implicit racism is far more tricky. It's a trickier sin, and it's a sin that well-meaning people have fallen into, and again, including myself. And it's tricky because it involves thoughts. It involves opinions about people who are different than us. It involves um, motives, and, and honestly, a lack of humility or desire to understand somebody else. And I don't think I was racist, but yet I never acknowledged or learned about inequalities that my black brother and sisters were going through. They told me about it. I just wouldn't listen. I, 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 um, I, they, didn't, they said that I was treated differently because I was white, and I simply didn't agree with them. I thought that inequality was a thing made up by, in this case, black people, because I couldn't understand why they didn't live out their freedom. I mean, I honestly believed that since slavery ended, that that all blacks and whites have been treated equally since then. Like you've had emancipation and now you can just live freely. And in my ignorance, and since I felt that I was treating others well, then I didn't believe in systemic racism. I didn't believe that there were systems that were trying to hold them down or anything like that. 
I didn't see or acknowledge the inequality. And in fact, there were subtle ways as I look back that I reinforced inequalities and actually perpetuated the racism that went on in their society. I would shoot down any one of them for suggesting that they were trying to make anything about race. In fact, I would say, why can't you just be colorblind? Because that's how we all need to be. And I actually don't agree with that. I think that we need to recognize each other's differences, just as even I recognize uh, because Luke is different than I am, that's what speaks into my life and gives me nourishment. And so I was doing my best at that time to be uh, colorblind, Never try, and I never tried to understand or acknowledge the fears that the black community that I was very involved with and that I was doing life with was valid. And this is a lack of understanding and acknowledgement. It was implicit racism and it was evil. Even if I, was in, I wasn't intentionally racist, I was helping inequality. And that is participating in evil. That is not participating in, in, in building them, the friends that I had up in the image of God. And it wasn't until years later that God opened my eyes to see that I just didn't understand. And it takes time. I didn't understand and I don't understand what it's like to be black in the United States. And I, I don't believe any of us in this call do either because none of us are black. I don't, I don't know what it's like to wade through the fog of racial inequality. I just don't. I'm in a, I live in a country that favors white males, and I am a white male. And I need to understand that and, and recognize that. I don't know what it's like to deal with racial, racial gaps that make less of me. I went into every job interview that I had thinking that I could get it, not once questioning, would I not get this because of my skin color? I don't know what it's like to have the hopes of equality blown apart by yet another shooting or another choking or another murder of someone my same color. I don't know what that's like. And I haven't lived with that day to day. And I don't know what it's like to live in a place where my the, the jobs that are being portrayed, the career opportunities are just a real, at a real deficit. I am white. I've always been white. I don't know if you know that, but I've, I've always been able, I've always thought that I can pull myself up by my bootstraps, that I can make something of myself. Um, Mo and I talk about this frequently, but I've always known that God loves me, that he values me. I have a mother who I can, you guys know this, that I can do no wrong around. And that's been a, a strength in my life. And I can't imagine what it's like to not feel valued. Not feel valued based on my skin color. I feel like my voice is valid. I don't know what it's like for it to be invalid. This is not, the way I feel is not the way that many of my black friends have felt. And you can take this and you can do a deep dive into any particular sin and any form of inequality. Uh, this is in church. I've heard, I've heard men tell women to act more like men if they want to be successful. Instead of recognizing and identifying that women are different than men and they are equally valued by Christ and even though there may be differences they are still 
made in the image of God and their their femininity should be celebrated and recognized as a good thing rather than something that needs to be changed. I've heard um I've heard wealthy tell the poor to make more money. Just go out and make more money. Get a better job. Stop smoking. You're spending all your money on cigarettes. How ignorant can you be? I've heard wealthy men and women say this to people in poverty, not once trying to understand what it's like to live in poverty. I've seen homeless people patronized because they don't have a place or a job. They've been called lazy and bums. When the person telling them doesn't realize that that homeless man or woman lost it all. Lost their husband, lost their child, lost their job, lost everything. And in a moment, that could happen to any of us. And we need to recognize this and walk with this type of humility. All of this inequality and all of these things I've heard by Christians. Christians who say that the Holy Spirit dwells equally within one, each and every one of us, and yet they'll tell children that their voice is not valid. And yet the Holy Spirit can speak through a child, speak through a child into each and every one of our lives. So we get to pray this, Lord, let us lead us out of temptation. Let us not be in temptation, but deliver us from all this evil that we are tempted to think. So I'd encourage us to dive into this, to look at this. And if you think that I'm wrong, that's fine. I would encourage you, uh, talk to me and I'll give you some books, even some audio books that you can learn and some differing opinions. And that's fine. I may be wrong. That's what happens. Sometimes we get these things wrong. But there is an inequality that we have, that we project, and we need to be aware of this to lead us out of temptation. Verse 6 and 7 in this prayer are actually argued about quite extensively. No one really knows what they mean and why they're in this prayer. In fact, every single one of the commentaries that I read on this suggested that it might not belong there. That, 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 but I'd suggest that as people get, are getting thrown over cliffs, that as bones are being scattered, neither of these images are pleasant, but it means that we get to take the sins of our life seriously. We get to look at them and not be false about them, but walk sincerely with Christ and not give in to the temptation to minimize what is going on around us, what's going on in our own heart and what's going on in this world. We need Jesus to wake us up. Amen. We need Jesus to be our refuge and we need to seek him. We, we, we don't need to be ignorant to the fact that we walk in sin, yet we get to stay humble before him. We don't need to spend all our time focusing on sin. I, I, I would ask, you know, during this sermon that you take the body of my work, not just this one sermon in particular, and, and look at the way that we don't focus on sin a lot. And yet this prayer focuses on leading us away from all these sins and these temptations. So we don't spend all our time focusing on sin, but there are areas of blindness that we all have. And we need to be willing to look at those areas of blindness and at the same time, trust that Jesus will cover these areas of blindness that we have with his grace and walk in humility. Because Jesus is worthy of all our praise. Jesus is worthy of all our 
honor and our worship. And even he was tempted in every way. So that, and we have this high priest who's able to sympathize with us. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. Jesus is aware of all the different types of sin that are out there. He knows how to pay attention to his life and how difficult even that is. Following Jesus is the answer, and we get to do this in humility. And I, I think this that let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. And in this humility, it is good to be corrected and rebuked. It is good to learn that we're doing something wrong and do it a different way. And we get to strive to live with the humility to do this. We, are, we can become aware of our own sins and our own temptations and all these things that want to drag our witness of Christ away, that want to drag us away from Jesus and bring us down. We're all tempted in different ways. Each and every one of us are tempted in different ways. We all have a different bent towards different sins. And yet we have one Christ who we can come and we can confess them to, we can learn from, and we can grow from, and we need to confess our need for him. We need Jesus in our life. We need to recognize that we are blind and we need Jesus to lift these blinders off our lives. And we get to acknowledge that we are tempted by sins, ones that we can see and even ones that we can't see. And we need to ask Jesus to come in and wake up and let us set a guard against these sins. Not just sins that we can see. We need to set guards against those, but even wake up our eyes to the rebuke and the kindness of a good God and Savior that doesn't want us to fall into these sins and treat God's grace with dishonor. So Jesus, I pray that we can come before you. Lord, that we can come and be humbled before you. That we can recognize, Lord, that in this world full of evil and sin, that, Lord, that it's both personal and systemic. Lord, that we both can see and we have blindness to. Lord, that you will wake us up so that we don't accidentally stumble on mistreating others. That we don't fall into the temptation to treat others with a lack of dignity and worth. Lord, that we can treat whoever we have our isms against, Lord, that we can repent from those and strive to figure out how to not walk in our own um, inequalities, Lord. So Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. And we are going to, in a moment, we're going to, we're not taking communion since we're not together, but I, I would invite you to take this moment and reflect on what Jesus did for us, what he did for each and every one of us. Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed, and it says even in the scriptures that he did this for the sins of the world, yours and mine and, and all the sins that we can so clearly see 